Testament, there is about 10, a very common name in the ancient Roman world. This name Simon, but the Simon we're going to talk to you about today is Simon the Zealot. And so what we've been looking at is how disciples, people from various vastly different walks of life and social circles, were able to lay down their differences for the cause of Christ. These guys and these girls, they laid down their thing, their cause, their tribe, their squad. They ultimately laid down their identity to be a part of a squad. A squad that was not brought together by its differences, how they were different from others, but it was actually a squad that was brought together around Jesus and Jesus alone. And it was brought together around a new identity that could be found only in Jesus Christ. And so, Right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but, but you and I live in a world that is vastly more divided than it was two years ago, four years ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. We live in a very, very divided world. And that is not only uh, a world of the church and, and the world or Jews and Gentiles. We find ourselves very divided in our own families. We find ourselves very divided in our own churches and in our workplaces And some of us have learned to be very vocal. Some of us have learned just to be uh, really quiet. Uh, My son and I were eating lunch uh, with some people in a real restaurant, um, sitting in real tables and chairs inside a building uh, this last week in another state. And um, people that we had to sit by with uh, plastic barriers between us, um, we were like, well, let's talk about what everybody does for a living. And that's a really hard thing to answer as a pastor. Um, it can be a scary thing. And so I looked at my son, and I pretended to be texting, hoping that they would think I didn't hear. So what do you do for a living? And I was trying to think of some witty explanation for a pastor because that can just open up a weird can of worms Well, you're just trying to enjoy lunch with your son. Um, but I was bold, and it's like, hey, I am a pastor of a church. Oh, that's, that's, that's nice. Yes, it is. It is nice. It's interesting. Um, so it's a divided world, and so it's such a divided world, we need to figure out how we can actually get along. We need to learn how to lay down our differences. We need to learn how to lay down our identities at the feet of Jesus. And we need to live for him and for Jesus' cause and not our own. And we need to be able to learn to actually do it together in unity, in an identity that's found only in Jesus. And so if you have a Bible today, you want to turn to Luke chapter 6. Uh, Luke 6, verse 12, we're going to look at. And if you have our app, that's FC Online, you can follow along the notes there. Um, If you're in-house and you have these screens in front of you, you can read the verses. If you're watching online, they'll be on the screen there. If you're in Oklahoma, uh, they'll be on the screen for you to look at as well. Uh, I want to welcome Fellowship Church Oklahoma. Our assistant pastor was there uh, last Sunday. Uh, I'll be there on the 21st speaking with you guys. And so... We're building a church in Oklahoma, if you guys didn't know. Pretty exciting. And so, uh, welcome to you guys as well. So, we're going to be looking at Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. It says, In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night Jesus continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve. So there was hundreds of disciples. At this time, when Jesus calls him, probably over a hundred people here men and women, there's likely children in the midst. He calls these 12 disciples who he would call apostles. And then uh, Luke names the apostles. Simon, whose name was Peter. Andrew, Simon's brother. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder you talked about last week. 
Philip and Bartholomew. Uh, Bartholomew. Um, Bart. Actually, Bartholomew is, is most likely the disciple Nathaniel, probably a different name for him. We're going to look at Nathaniel here in a couple weeks. Uh, Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus, there were two James. They actually called one James the Greater and one James the Lesser. Which one do you want to be? Like, this is James the, the Lesser. Um, Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James. There's two Judases in the group of disciples. How unfortunate if you're not that Judas. Um, and then it says, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is a crazy group of guys, right? This is all sorts of people. This is not your typical roster if you're picking a team. And um, I don't say this to, like, be crude, but I want to just really help you understand what this is like. This would be like Jesus looking at a crowd like this today and saying, I want the guy with the MAGA hat and the guy with the BLM hat to be on my team. I want the guy with the QAnon hat, and then I want the guy with the Antifa hat. I pick you guys both. And they're like, whoa, we're on completely different teams. And and Jesus is like, exactly. You're going to unite not around your social or political identity, but you're actually going to unite around me. This is a strange pick. How many of you were always picked last in sports? Yeah. These legs don't jump very high. And so it's, uh, it's hard. And so he picks this ragtag, weird group of guys, but the picks actually show us that we can lay down our differences for the cause of Christ. These strange pick of men shows us that we can unify and accomplish great things together with a common common purpose for a common goal much bigger than our differences. And this weird pick shows us that Christ's goal is not for us to be like one another, but it's to be like him. And if you actually leave with three things today, let that be one of them. Christ's goal is not for you guys to be like each other. Christ's goal is for you to be like him. I don't want to be like you. You don't want to be like me. We don't want to be like each other. We want to be who God created us to be, but like him. That's our goal, to be like Jesus. And so if you're here like, I don't know how I fit in at this church or this church or this church, how I'm going to fit in with people. You don't need to worry about fitting in with people. You need to worry about aligning yourself with Jesus Christ. Be like him. So within this group, we're going to talk today again about Matthew and Simon, known as the Zealot. And the reason we're going to combine these two guys together, even though they are not related, it is because these two guys had absolutely polarizing political stances to one another. And they were ultimately willing to lay down their absolute polarizing views for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so Simon, we'll start with him. He's called a zealot, and that's a word we just don't use. Um, This word comes from being zealous for something, someone who is zealous. Uh, Zealous means passionate, um, really hardcore about a particular issue. And so if you are a zealot, then you are someone who is zealous. And these um, guys and and this crowd of Jews in Roman-occupied Israel that were known as zealots, another way we would call them or something else we would call them today would, would be political insurrectionists, people that were trying to overthrow the man, people that were trying to overthrow Rome. They, they hated Caesar. They hated the Roman Empire. They hated the Roman Empire's occupation of what they called Palestine. 
And they weren't just people who hated these things. They were actually people who rallied against Caesar and his occupation, likely by force. And so some might call uh, Simon, I've heard him called a terrorist, and we don't know exactly, but we certainly would call him an insurrectionist. And this was someone who was absolutely passionate about Jewish sovereignty in the nation of Israel. And he would have seen the coming of a Messiah as an overwhelming military force. And so as he's waiting for the Messiah, he's, he's expecting a Jewish man on a white horse coming in with a sword to get rid of Caesar, to get Rome out of Palestine, and to make Israel the greatest nation on earth. And in some shape or form, this is what we're all waiting for, and we see fulfilled in the book of Revelation. But Simon was looking for a warrior Messiah with overwhelming military force. He wasn't expecting a king coming with a mustard seed kingdom, slowly growing through the subversive measures of grace, love, forgiveness, and for the most part, nonviolence. He wasn't expecting someone coming with this subversive movement who would proclaim the good news of the son of a single mom from Nazareth who travels about the nation preaching his message to the poor, who scolds the religious elite, who rides into town on a donkey, and who's crucified naked on a Roman cross at the request of his own people. That's not what Simon was waiting for. And so I was thinking about this, and the idea of Jesus promised the outcome that Simon was looking for. Yes, the Messiah will come and save us from worldly powers. The idea of Jesus is what he wanted. But the reality of who Jesus actually was offered a completely different means of getting where Simon wanted to go. He wanted Rome to be overthrown. Now, little did they know Rome would be overthrown for all intents and purposes over the next hundred or so years as it became what we would call Christianized. Whether or not Rome was actually Christian for some time is debatable, but it certainly did fall for all intents and purposes. You see, Jesus didn't represent the team that Simon was on, but when Jesus picked Simon, Simon agreed to go. And you can scour through the Gospels, and you can't actually find the calling of Simon in the Gospels. We don't know how Jesus actually called Simon. But I am sure that when Jesus did call him, just like he did everyone else, I can certainly imagine Jesus telling Simon, follow me. Follow me. Now, he wouldn't have told him, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, because he wasn't a fisherman. But maybe he told Simon, follow me, and I will put you on the path to what you want in a much different way, in a far greater way than what you could have ever hoped or imagined. So there was something about Jesus. There was something about Jesus choosing him. There was something about the promise of Jesus' call that led Simon to lay down his zealousy, to lay down his political differences, and to do it for the cause of Christ. And so Simon didn't just lay it down for Jesus. He actually laid it down for the dozens and dozens of other disciples and the 11 other apostles, mainly Matthew. Because while Simon was a political insurrectionist, Matthew was a tax collector. And 
what does that mean? Well, we would say that Matthew was a government sympathizer. Matthew was, for all intents and purposes, pro-government, where Simon was, for all intents and purposes, anti-government. But for real, Matthew was a traitor to his own people. He is one who profited on the very occupation by Rome of Palestine. And so taxes were, as they are today, a big deal 2,000 years ago. How many of you love paying taxes? Um, you know, some of us get money, some of us pay money, but we can all agree taxes are not fun. They're stressful. Um, if you're watching TurboTax, that number that you're like, oh, my gosh, is that going to rise or fall as I'm entering a number? It'll be like, and then like, ooh, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's like a roller coaster. Um, will I owe? Will I, will I get? So taxes were a big deal, and, and Rome taxed just about everything. There was um, bartering tax. There was tax to um, import, to export. There was tax to live. There was tax to just be a citizen. You had to go and register yourself. That's like the story of uh, Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. There were taxes everywhere. And Matthew was a very, 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 very well-educated Jewish man. We know this because Matthew writes his gospel to the Jews, and he knows a ton about Judaism. And so it's very interesting that someone who is super smart and knows the facts and the history about his religion, Judaism, and the God of Israel, he actually um, decides to work for the enemy. And he works against his own people by extorting and collecting money from them And what tax collectors would do is they would charge more than what the government did. And the government was aware of that and promoted that so that that way the tax collectors could actually keep some back for themselves. And so Matthew was literally stealing from his people. He's stealing from his own people and giving the main portion over uh, to the Roman Empire. So do you think tax collectors were popular? They weren't. Tax collectors were not popular. They were seen as the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst. They were hated. And the word tax collector throughout the Bible is synonymous with sinner and outsider. And so when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, what did Matthew do? Well, he did. Matthew followed him. He laid down his differences. He laid down his differences as one who actually profited from the state and and decided to follow Jesus, who ultimately was an enemy of the state. And so we look through children's Bibles of all these happy pictures of happy disciples that all look the same, but these guys were radically different. Uh, Imagine Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the insurrectionist, spending three years together, day and night, traveling around the nation. This is not a happy bunch to be around, but yet they had joy, they had peace, because their focus wasn't tax collecting or Rome or Palestine or Israel or Judaism or the temple or this or that. Their focus was on the man, Jesus, who they gave their lives to follow, and that's all that mattered to them. It's all that mattered to them was just Jesus. But you see, Matthew didn't just lay this down for the cause of Christ. Just like Simon, he laid it down for the cause of the others. Disciples like Simon who played for the other team. But Christ bought these two politically 
strange foes together for the sake of the gospel. And they united around him. They united around his kingdom. They stuck together through the hardest times of all, and they were transformed from insurrectionists and pro-government tax collectors. They were transformed not into the image of Israel and not into the image of Rome. They were transformed into the image of Christ. And they brought Christ to the world. And I want to show you proof. I never actually noticed this before. Um, We just read from Luke chapter 6. But I want you to go to Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to show you something interesting. Acts chapter 1. We'll start with verse 12. This is after the death of Jesus. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. This is after the ascension of Jesus to the Father in heaven this very strange group of now 120 people coming together around Christ. Christ leaves for all intents and purposes. And then Luke records this in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Then the disciples, 120 of them to be exact, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And you can go to this room today, actually. It's right on top of Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. They were staying in this upper room. And then it's going to tell us who's there. Pay attention. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, also likely Nathaniel, Matthew, James, the lesser, Simon, the zealot, Judas, not that one, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together, 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 with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers of Jesus, who now joined their cause. Because the brothers of Jesus and his mother weren't all in until all this. What I noticed is at the beginning of the Gospels, we're giving, given the list of these strange, unlikely characters gathered around the cause of Christ. And then after the Gospels, in the first chapter after the Gospels, the band's still together. They're, they're still together. Now, you notice the lack of Judas Iscariot there. He had uh, sadly lost his life uh, as a result of suicide We'll talk about him here in a couple of weeks, and was he, which team was he on? We'll talk about him. And the reason they're all together here is they're actually going to replace Judas Iscariot. But the, the two words I want to point out to you is they were in one accord. So it wasn't like, okay, Jesus is gone. Now let's debate our differences between Rome and um, hyper-Judaism. Now is the time that Jesus is gone. We can focus on these things and get real passionate and worked up about them and, and and fight about them, but they didn't, because now they were about to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit unites together those who are separated by great differences. So we don't need to be like one another, but we need to be like Jesus and filled with the Spirit, and all of a sudden, the things of this world, as the old song says, will go strangely dim when, when, when the glory of Christ is our goal and our life's focus. And so when unlikely bonds between polar opposites are formed around unity in Christ, 
the squad doesn't start to look like each other. It starts to look like Jesus. And that kind of bond can stand the test of time. And here's why it stands the test of time. Because the squad, and I, I use this word, I don't even know why I used it when we were coming up with this series. It looks cool. Um, the squad, the tribe, the team, the group, it stands the test of time. There's a bond that's grown to the point where it's not a squad anymore. So I don't want you to be in Jesus' squad. I don't want you to be on Jesus' team. I don't want you to be uh, on Jesus' tribe. Here's what we need to be, a part of Jesus' body. They became a part of the body of Christ. So no longer is it Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, black, white, uh, zealot, um, Zionist. It's not those things. It, it, it's, we're all part of one body. The part of the body we are a part is the body of Christ. We are united together, all filled with the same spirit, all allotted different gifts and different ma- measures according to our ability. And so, friends, you might be some strange person that actually likes WWE or country music or NASCAR. But we can still unite around Jesus. Um, you can still go play, you know, Magic the Gathering and, and what do they call it when they fight with foam swords? Yes, thank you, nerds. LARPing. Um, <laughs> you can sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons together. And, but those things don't ultimately unite you. We can be a bunch of mixed company in regards to the things we're into and the things that we like. But our focus is on Jesus, and we recognize that when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. And when one member of the body is blessed, we all celebrate. And that's why when we dedicate babies, um, it's not just like, bless this baby, amen. It's literally, what can we do to help? Sometimes people that don't go to our church ask, like, can we, can we bring the baby to the church to dedicate? And I'll say, yes, you can. But it doesn't make sense because you don't know these people. These people don't know you, and I can't ask anybody to make a commitment to you if you're not making a commitment to them. You're not a part of the body. We'll do it, but the real beauty of a local church is that we can rally around each other. That's the, that's the real beauty of being a part of a body. The body of Christ needs each other. It depends on one another. So I want to look as we end today at the actual calling of Matthew. That's where we'll end our time. You may have noticed there's two tables. And you guys, you should have been given a cup when you came in. If, if you weren't given a cup, um, if you could actually raise your hand, someone will give one to you. We're not filling up those cups with drinks. Um, we just want you to know how thirsty you are. So you should have a cup. There should be a pen, uh, the table in front of you. If you don't have a cup, like I said, you raise your hand, make sure you get a cup. How many of you grew up in a family where maybe you got together for Thanksgiving or some holiday, and there was a kid's table and there was an adult table? The kid's table was like banished to another room. Like, this is where the kids can go wild, be unattended, do God knows what, while the adults have real adult time and conversation. 
What, how old were you when you got to move up, too? That's always fascinating to me. It's usually there's that awkward, like, seventh grade, 12-year-old that's like, can I move up to the adult table? And like, not yet, son. He's there with, like, two- and three-year-olds, and he's actually the unintended babysitter. He's the only one it was unattended for. Everyone else intended it. And um, so we have these kids' tables, and we've got these adult tables, and, and sometimes, you know, you sit at different ones. And when you think of a kids' table, sometimes the table is, is actually smaller and smaller chairs. Most of them I've seen, they're exactly the same, but it's like the leftover table that's not good enough for the adults, so you put your most precious cargo in that table uh, <laughs> instead of the valued table. Let's look at the, the calling of Matthew here. I, I want you to see what differences, what identity, what squads he laid down for for the sake of Christ, which ultimately unified him with Christ and with his fellow disciples. So look now at Luke 5. Luke 5, 27 through 28. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. That was Matthew's given name. Levi was sitting at the tax booth, and Jesus said to Levi, follow me. Just like he had done with James and John and Peter and Andrew, follow me. And just like James and John and Peter and Andrew, Levi, Matthew, left everything. He rose and followed Jesus. Um, Don't answer this out loud, but think for a minute. What did he rise from? It said he rose and followed Jesus. He literally rose from a booth. He rose from a table. There was a table he had set before him where he would take. And I think that this is like the kids' table. This is how we all start our lives. We set a table for ourselves where we essentially want to be served. Serve me. Bring to me. Support me. Help me. I'm needy. And, And those are good things when you're a baby, when you're a child. But Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But, but as he grows, he no longer focuses on childish things. And so Matthew, who knew a whole lot about religion, was living his life as a child at the kid's table, wanting not just to be served, but actually wanting to take from people. And so it says he rose from that literal tax collector's booth and table and followed Jesus. He left his livelihood. He left his career, he left his money, he left everything with absolutely no promise of where he was going to follow Jesus into the great unknown. And so he goes, he he leaves it all, just gets up from the table and follows. And he would spend his entire life laying down his own causes. He would spend his entire life laying down his own identity, his own differences, and his own thing for the cause of Christ. Because we talked about two weeks ago, Jesus rarely tells you everything you'll be leaving behind when he originally asks you to follow, because most of us wouldn't do it. Jesus said, follow me, and here's where I'm taking you. If we knew where Jesus was taking us, we would not follow. But he just takes us to the next step, the next step, the next step, and that's all Matthew knew, and Matthew actually knew nothing. So his team was pro-Rome. His team was government sympathizer. His team was extort from my own people. His team was all about taking and stealing and squandering things. 
And he's at that table where he's just waiting to get stuff. And Jesus says, get up from the table, follow me. And so he gets up from the kid's table, he stands up, and he follows Jesus. But what table will he go to? Will he go from the kids to the adults' table? And the answer is actually yes. You see, laying down his thing, walking away from his table, and following Jesus leads him to actually opening up a different table. A table not of taking, but actually a table of serving. Where he would not be the one to be served, but be the one who would actually serve. Where he would be the one who would not be taking anymore, but he would be the one who would now be giving. And here's what he does. He invites his old squad to introduce them to the leader of his new squad. Very awkward dinner here. He gets up, he follows. Now, I love what Levi, what Matthew does. He doesn't just say, okay, now that I'm following Jesus, I'm going to leave my old life behind so much that I don't even care about the people I left behind. In fact, he cares about the people very much. And so he wants to introduce them to his new crowd, not so he can say, Look, we're better than you. Look, I'm holier than you. I'm more righteous than you because I've left behind evil. It's, look, you can be here too. You can leave the kids' table. You can move to the adult table where something is different, where something is greater, where there's something more than living life just for making and taking other people's money. So Luke 5, 29. Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And we just dedicated Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was also a tax collector in Scripture. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, the tax collector. Here, um, Levi, the tax collector, invites Jesus to his house. So Levi makes him a great feast. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes Interesting that they're invited and that they hang out with tax collectors who are stealing things from their own people. Side note, Pharisees and scribes grumbled at the disciples of Jesus saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous I've called, I've come to call sinners to repentance. First of all, how many of you had an awkward Thanksgiving table this last Thanksgiving? Like, there's just a lot of tension, and this is like, that times 100. Very strange crowd at this table. And the Pharisees are like, whoa, Jesus, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. And Jesus says, no, I'm hanging out with the right crowd. Because I came for sick people, not for healthy people. Now, sometimes we'll read that verse and we'll say, oh, Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the scribes that they were good, that they were holy, that they were righteous, that they didn't need a doctor because they weren't sick. But in reality, what he was saying is, you guys are all sick. You guys are all pathetic without me. You guys are all sitting at the kids' table. It's time to come to something more, to something better, to something greater. You see, if you really want to humble yourself and come to me, you've got to let go of your arrogance, let go of your pride, Realize that we're all in the same boat, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us deserve death for our sin. We have to lay it down before Christ. And so Matthew introduces Jesus to his old squad, hoping they'd be willing to lay down their differences for the cause of Christ. The fascinating thing is we don't know 
if the other tax collectors did follow Jesus. We, it doesn't record. But we can be sure because of the text that the Pharisees and scribes certainly did not follow Jesus after that meal because they missed the boat, thought they were the doctors, when in reality they were the sick in need of a doctor, and the only doctor in the house was Jesus Christ. And they let him leave. So to join the squad of Jesus, you've got to recognize you and everyone who's joining the squad are just as sick as one another. That Jesus is the only healthy one. Jesus is the only righteous one. And everyone is just as much in need of a doctor, and Jesus is the only physician. You've got to lay down arrogance, judgment, pride, self-righteousness. You've got to sit at the table of humility and grace and hope and love and understanding and service. You need to sit at the table with Jesus. So could you take that cup out? Just got a couple more minutes of things I want to share. But if you can get the cup in the pan, don't do anything with it, please. Don't let it distract you. But I just want to hold the cup for a minute. Once more, what did Matthew lay down? Matthew laid down, pay attention, he laid down his reputation. How many of you are willing to lay down your reputation for Jesus? Matthew laid down his status in society. Matthew laid down his very credibility because he's not credible anymore because now he follows this crazy guy, Jesus. Matthew laid down his squad, his his very social circle. Matthew is an elitist in Jerusalem. He would have been invited to all the best parties. He would have got to hang out with all the popular crowd. He, He laid it down. Matthew laid down his sin. He laid down his shame. Because he wasn't like, oh, Jesus, I'm unworthy. I won't follow. He's like, yes, I'll follow. And I'm going to lay it down so much. I want you to come into my house and you can change whatever you want inside. Because that's what you do when you decide to follow Jesus is you invite him into your heart and allow him to change everything up. Here's the one that gets me. Matthew laid down his need to be liked. Some of you live your entire life to be liked. He laid it down. Doesn't matter if people like me or not. I love Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Matthew laid down his need for affirmation. How many of you post things, text things, say things, snap things, take photos of things that you only do to get affirmation from others? Matthew laid down his identity his political stance, his judgment of others, his wealth, his home, and his table. And he did it for the cause of Christ. And then what Matthew did is he made room at the table for everyone else. He invited them to lay down their differences for the cause of Christ. So your current squad is likely uniting around the wrong thing. Do you only hang around people who think like you? Do you only hang around people that like the same kind of food as you, the same kind of music as you, the same kind of show or movie or book that you do, that play the same kind of game that you do? Of course we'll find affinity in things like those with people like those. 
But if those are the only squad that you interact with, then you've missed the point. Because Jesus didn't come for healthy. He came for sick, and that's you and that's me. And so we're all in the same need, in the same boat. We might have different stuff going on in our life that has different earthly consequences, but ultimately we're all on the same journey doing it different ways. But the only way to make it to the end of this journey is Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. So we've got to lay down that other stuff and, and, and do it for him. And be able to have conversations with people that don't think like you. And if someone doesn't agree with you or, or doesn't state exactly what you state or what you think, it doesn't mean you've got to actually, like, cut them out altogether. You've got to just like, cancel them, erase them, because they don't think like I think, and so therefore they're no, no, no longer human. That's, when did we get here? It's not what God intended. And so, what table do you need to leave? What do you need to lay down at your old table? And what do you need to pick up at the table of Christ? Because you can't lay something down unless you're willing to pick something else up. So, okay, well, Anthony, what did Matthew pick up? Here's what Matthew picked up. Jesus said, whoever would come after me and follow me must carry his cross, pick up his cross and follow me. You've got to be willing to lay down your life and then pick up life in Christ, which is willing to to die for him, willing to give it all for him. And Jesus says, if you don't fill the space that he cleared and cleaned for you, then evil will come back multiplied into your soul if you leave it empty. So if you let go of something today, you need to fill it up with something else, and the only thing you can actually fill it up with is Christ, his gospel, his spirit. What do you need to pick up at his table once you're there? And once you're there, who will you invite? Who will you invite to unite around Christ? And if people don't want to join you, if people don't want to go to the big kids' table with you, will you give up and go back to the kids' table? Because oftentimes that's what happens. People will make this great decision, emotional decision to follow Jesus, and they realize like, oh, I'm being cut off from old groups and old squads I was a part of. And so I'm kind of done with this Jesus thing. I'm going to go back to what was comfortable. But you've got to be willing to lay down your need to be liked. When our differences and our identities are found in Jesus, when they're laid down and found in Christ, it's there that we find the squad, the family, the body we've always desired. Here's what we're going to do today. It's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this last week. Like, how do you end a message like this? We've still got three weeks left of, left of the series. We're going to take it a different direction. We're going to be looking at Judas Iscariot. We're going to be looking at uh, Thomas, the doubter. We're going to take a look at a few other disciples. And we're going to look at Nathaniel. You probably don't know much about him. That's why we're going to look at him. You got that cup, right? Not the cup, the pen. What do you need to lay down and leave at the kids' table? What do you need to lay down and leave at your tax collector's booth? I know for me, it's one of the things I wrote down in my own notes, the need to be liked. I live off of that. 
If someone doesn't like me, I'm devastated. That's ridiculous. So for me, it's the need to be liked. And what, I, what I'll do, probably in this evening service, I'll, I'll take a cup, a pen, I'm going to write down the need to be liked, and I'm going to leave it at the kids' table. I'm going to leave it at the tax collector's booth. And I'm going to hear the voice of Jesus where he's going to say, okay, get up and follow me. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to invite Jesus to this new table, a table that's not for taking but one for giving. And so once you lay something down, you're going to come over and pick up something new. What are you going to pick up? And when you take this cup, inside of the cup there's actually communion. Because that's what we do when we leave the tax collector's booth. And we follow Jesus. Then we have communion with God. And we have communion with one another. Now, the final dinner table of Jesus, when he sat down with his disciples, just them, he said, let's take this bread and eat it together. And as often as you eat it, eat it in remembrance of me. It represents my body, which is broken. And he passed a cup around and he said, uh, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. And so as often as you drink from this cup, do it in remembrance of me that I was willing to lay down my life and pour out my blood for you. So I'm going to ask you to lay something down at the kids' table, the tax collector booth. Choose to follow Christ. Pick up a cup here. Partake in communion at your seat. And I want you to keep that cup. I want you to write something on that cup that you want to pick up from the adult table for 2021. If, if it used to be the need to be liked, you might pick up the ability to lay that down for Jesus. But think real specific. On my cup, I'm going to write down the names of some people I want to see meet Christ. On my cup, I'm going to, I'm going to write down things I'm picking up. The thing that I need to pick up more than anything is, is really boldness in the Holy Spirit. That's something I need to pick up for this year once I lay down the things that aren't supposed to be at my table. I'm leaving them at that table. I'm walking away from the tax collector's booth. I'm making the beeline for the table of serving, the table of giving, leaving the table of taking. I'm going to go to the table of Christ, and I'm going to commune with him because he's going to give me something for what I gave to him. Do you track this idea? You guys understand? So Casey's going to lead us in some songs. We're going to sing two songs at the end of our service. Normally, we only sing one. What I'd like you to do, if, if you would, let's give you some, some instruction here, is um, starting at this side, um, this is my right, your left, um, and literally go row by row just so we can maintain distancing, um, make sure you're not getting too close to each other. If you could lay down your cup that you wrote something on right here, and then if you could walk to this table, pick up a cup, go around, find your seat. Um, as we're singing at your own time, uh, partake of communion while we sing. And then I'd like to ask you to write something on that cup and take it home with you. Put it on your desk, your nightstand, wherever you need to put it this week and this year to remember. What are you, take, what are you picking up in Christ to have communion with him? If you're not comfortable doing this, please don't, by the way. There's, there's zero pressure. And so if, if you see someone that's, that's not getting up to do it, that's none of your business. And if you're like, well, I need to get up so other people will think highly of me, just don't. Trust me, this is not about you. This is about, this is about what Christ is calling you to do. And maybe he's not calling you to lay down anything. Maybe, maybe there's not something you know you need to pick up. But if this is you, I would like you to go, starting at this side, literally row by row, wait till the row in front of you has their seat. And then once we're done with this side, we'll start in the front here. Once we're done here, we'll start in the front there, go to the back. Take your time. 
If you need to kneel at the altar and pray as you lay something down or pick something up, please do that. This is a church where it's, it, it, it is safe for you to be free in worship and in prayer before Christ. And as our service concludes and Paula comes and dismisses us after these songs, um, myself, some of our leaders will be up here to pray for you if you'd like. We'd love to lay hands on you, pray for you, uh, see God deliver you and give you great new things for this year. So let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for unity that can and does exist in you. God, if, if there's a thing in our life that's become the thing in our life, I pray that we'd lay that thing down for you. So God, it's, it's okay um, if your spirit allows us to and if our conscience allows, it's okay to be passionate about certain things in this world. But God, if, if this world is elevated above what you've called us to, then help us to lay that thing down. God, I know this year we could all use a little less divisiveness. And so if the thing, the thing that we talk about all the time is um, Biden or Trump or vax or anti-vax or mask or anti-mask, let us lay those things down, God. We're, I'm getting tired of those things. Let us talk about you. Let's talk, let us talk about joy again. Let us talk about peace again. Let us talk about living life together for you once again. And God, whatever it is, would you lay on our hearts and convict us now, God. Give us that, that good conviction that only you can give. Not shame, not condemnation, but conviction to those who belong to you. To lay down whatever is needed in our lives. If it's financial security, if it's our need to know the future, if it's fear, Man, that's permeating everything, God. If it's fear, let us lay it down. And then let us and may we pick something up new in you as we sit at your table this year. God, if there's anybody here that does not know you, um, at that point it's not conviction. It, it might be condemnation, realizing that we are condemned in our sin without salvation from you. So, God, thank you for, for even that condemnation that you can bring, not a destroying condemnation, but a condemnation that brings faith to say, wow, we're in need of a Savior. We are sick, and we need a doctor. God, give us faith to put that trust in you because, Jesus, you lived for us. You died for us. You rose again so that our sins can be forgiven, our relationship with God restored, the gift of the Spirit given to us and granted everlasting life. God, let us step into that free gift of grace that you give, that we call salvation, by faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing? And as we begin to sing, I'll invite this, this side here to start. Please wait till the row in front of you is done. Take this moment seriously. Maybe you don't know what to pick up, but pick up, take communion at your seat, and maybe you wait the whole week and you, you write down on Friday or Thursday, this is what I'm picking up for this year. But Keep a hold of these cups and make sure you let go of the ones you put here. Leave them here. They're dead in Christ.